Welcome. This is Cascade Church Portland's podcast. We exist to invite all people to join us as we follow Jesus together in bringing heaven to earth. This morning, I wanted to introduce you all um, to a friend of mine who probably the, this isn't the best way, um, but very rarely do I ever introduce people the best way. I do it my favorite way. Uh, So this friend is the kind of friend that recently would like move into the neighborhood and he'd be like, oh, you guys have a hot tub. And you're like, yeah, you should totally use it. We don't use it enough. And then you would be at home one day with your kids playing, maybe in the front room, and you'd hear like a thwop. And you'd be like, is there a break-in going on right now? Oh no, there's Scott just climbing in our hot tub. Uh, And he uses it, and I love that so much. So this is my good friend, Scott Erickson. If you would welcome Scott. Thank you. Hot tub Scott to my friends. Hot tub Um, Scott. Before we get started into all this tomfoolery, uh, I'm going to pass out pipe cleaners. Well, I'm going to hand it to the front row, and then you're going to use your working community magic and just take one and pass it on, all right? And wherever it ends up, the last person, how many left, uh, you get to keep them. So lucky you. Okay. So we do that. Here you go. Take one and pass it on. Take one and pass it on. Uh, so you, more than just being hot tub, Scott. Scott is a professional artist. That's what he does. Um, I would encourage you to follow him if you're on Instagram. Scott the Painter is a great follow. Um, and this is what makes Scott so great: is he creates. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Yeah, you know all these things. Uh, Scott works primarily in creating these concepts of spirituality that are kind of hard to wrap our head around and creating uh, a new iconography, a new kind of artistic representation. And what I love so much about it, and I encourage you to check out Scott's work, is it causes you to think about God, to think about faith, to think about Jesus, think about spirituality in new ways um, because his images are really well done. And because of that, and Scott also does, he has a one-man show that's great. He was here at Cascade and did the Good Fridays service, which was the the crucifixion according to Radiohead, which was great. Um, But I asked Scott to help me because we were coming into a new message series. I was like, how, like, it would be helpful to have, like, how do we think through this? How do we do this? And so to begin this message series, Mm -hmm. we want to let you know that we're going to be looking for the next nine weeks at one book of the Bible. And Scott and I agreed early on when we're like, this is the book of the Bible. Maybe the worst branded book in all the Bible. (laughs) Worst branded book. Yeah. Yeah. And what we mean by branding is like, the name is so misleading um, and it's not exciting at all. Nope. And as people that have thought about, like, how do you, like, present something so people are like, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And knowing that everything gets a name from somewhere. Yeah. We wanted to recreate what we can imagine was the naming process for this yeah, book. Yeah, there's some ancient PR firm that mm-hmm. got this job. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to, you know, semi-act it out. Like, how was the branding process for this? I will fully act this out. Okay, there's you no go. About you... This. I am... What's my inspiration? Uh, yeah. Okay, perfect. I'm getting mine right now. If you guys could all turn your back. So, yeah, and if you like don't know, uh, in, in coming up okay. with like a, you know, branding or something like that, you start with ideas. Like, what's the story here? Mm-hmm. So there's probably these, this group, let's say two individuals got together. They have the job of like, how are we going to tell this epic story? And so what are the, what are the, whoa, hey, that moves. Hello. What are the stories 
of this of this book. Yeah, so let's just start throwing out some of the stories that we're going to put in this book. Yeah. Um, yeah. I got a cloud. I got God in a cloud. Perfect. Okay. Perfect. Cloud. Yep. All right, what else we got? Wow, what are, you, are you a teacher? Yep. A, <laughs> I'm actually awful a doctor. handwriting. I write signifies scripts. a teacher. Yep. Cloud and also a, a pillar of fire. Yep, pillar of fire. That's Absolutely. Right. Um, we got a. Don't gotta, see those all the time? We, we got a talking donkey. Talking donkey? Yep. That's yep. great. A story yep. of a talky donkey. Yep. Um, That's good. What else we got? Perfect. Uh, uh, cloudy with a chance of meatballs-ish. Yes. There's food that falls out of the sky uh-huh. all day, and we call it manna. Yes. And then for all those who aren't vegetarians, we got quail. As quail. Well. And not just quail in the story. Not it, quail. A day's walk. So that's quite a, a range. A day's yes. walk. Three feet tall of quail. Three feet high of quail. Yeah, that's a lot of quail. That's like a, the king's table, all-you-can-eat quail buffet. <laughs> yes. Perfect. Um, you have giants. Oh, that's right. I forgot about the giants. Giants. There's and giants grapes. Who doesn't love grapes? Grapes. Grapes, yeah, yeah that, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one point where uh, there's a story where these people are doing, uh, they're disobeying God, and the earth opens up and swallows them. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I mean, I don't like that, but that is, that's a good story. I enjoy that. Yeah. That's my mouth. Oh, that's the earth eating people. I'm a, I'm a professional artist, guys. Nom. Nom. Yeah, there's, Nom. The, there's the globe with the mouth. Yeah. Um, Great. That's a good story. That's a big mouth. So far, this, yeah. this sounds... And people are in the desert for a long yep, time. The most of it happens in the desert. We also... We have... Uh, I mean, there's a census. There's like a census being taken. Okay, great. A census. Yeah. There's some laws. Yeah, um, quite a bit of laws. Like the priest laws are set up. Did you know that actually uh, one of the seas in this time was filled with manatees and their flesh is put on most everything inside the temple? Yep. We got sea cows. Lots of sea cows. I actually didn't know that part. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm filled with One wonder. Bible nerd laughs because um, there's lots of sea cows in this book. That's true. Sea cows. Oh, there's water that comes out of rock. Oh, water. that's so good. I know. That's a great rock. Another concert. miracle that happens. Uh, there is, oh, all these people are getting bit by snakes. Oh, that's right. And then they make this snake on a... On a um, on a, ste- a bronze snake, and if you just look at it, you get healed. What? And this is where the symbol comes from that's on every ambulance. Yeah. That's woo, today. Woo, that's where woo, this story woo. comes from. Wow. I know, we got crazy. a lot of great stuff in yeah. this. Even uh, more things there's like... Oh, there's more. Oh, there's so sorry. an adultery test that if you oh. you drink a, uh, an is elixir, like- and if you've committed adultery, it'll rot your insides, and if you don't, if you haven't, you'll be fine. So, so a magic is- potion... A magic potion yeah. for adultery. This is Maury in the Bible. Yeah, <laughs> this really is. I you mean, there's like desert. The there's like art installation pieces. There's like fires at night. I mean, it's pretty much a biblical Burning Man. Is it what is. We got going there's on a here. lot going on at this. I think that's true. So there's all these amazing stories, what do we and call how it? could we possibly what do we call sum it, it up? Besides, uh, in like in one, we you know it would really help if we just had one word. Most of the Bible. Uh, so far, you know, since we're adding to the Bible, most yeah. of the books have one name, so we should keep it's like it. Like Cher, you know. Bono. Yeah, know. we got a little like song yeah, of Solomon. Yeah, it's powerful. But just big. Mm, that one's you know. real salty. Yeah. We can get that one a yeah. couple words. Okay. So if we could just keep it to one name, I mean, there's a lot of things wow. here. We could what do, do we focus on though? What do we really I get mean, we into? We could do like amazing or uh, yeah, you got the talking donkey. I mean, I'm really. If we stuck go a little longer, like did this really happen? Question mark. That's yes. the Bible. Um, 
Do you believe it? There's so many great things here. You know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say, let's go the opposite of all the wondrous stuff. Yeah. Uh-huh. And let's just take it down to like something that we can all um, just understand. Are you, you thinking know? what I'm thinking? And you know who's the person in, the, in our church community who most gets left out is accountants. And That's I right. think if yep. we just uh-huh. focus on the census, yep. we do and the I censuses. will bypass all this other yeah. stuff. We don't need to talk about the that. The census, and let's even just break it down, and we'll just call it numbers. Yes, <laughs> That's numbers. That's what we'll call that it. That is the best we'll name I think we can come up with. We'll call the name out of all this fantastic stuff. Uh-huh. We'll call it numbers, and we'll just hide it in there. We could get all the rest of that stuff, but I'm yeah. going to have a sneaker book where people yeah. are really surprised when they get into it. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, because just, no one's reading numbers stuff in there. on purpose. On numbers. Yeah. All right. Finn. I don't... Yeah, that's you don't, great. You don't bow? Okay. Well, you no, helped me out to try no. there. That was... So we're talking about this. This is what's interesting. And when we talk about that whole naming situation, it would be most fair to say that it was named that way when we're talking about the Latin Vulgate or we translate it. Because what we want to talk about and the name we want to recapture is the original name of the book from the Torah. And it's Bamidbar. Bamidbar means in the desert of. That's the name of Numbers. The original name of Numbers isn't Numbers. It's in the desert of. And the reason why we wanted to talk about this story and look at it is because there's interesting kind of cycles and patterns in life that we see. And the one that's kind of illustrated when it comes uh, to this story with the Israelites is you have their time in Egypt where they are slaves. And they're living there. They've been there for a long, long time. And Moses comes and frees them. And as he leads them out, as they celebrate the Passover, not celebrate the Passover, as they engage in the very first Passover, as they go through the Red Sea, they ultimately go out into the desert. And they have this long period in the desert. One of the reasons why we settle on numbers is because numbers is set up with a census at the beginning and a census later in the book. And the two censuses don't... There's no, almost no overlap. No names are the same. And what it means is a whole generation of people passed away in the desert. They're gone. And then this whole journey, the reason why they leave Egypt, because no one's leaving Egypt, even in slavery, to say, hey, we're going to go walk around in the desert for 40 years, live in tents like a modern-day Burning Man, and all of you will die. Uh, no, they lead them there because they say, we're going to the promised land. And what we want to look on is what is that cycle of slavery when you're in a known position, where you're kind of working in a place that you feel comfortable, you feel seen, you know the rules and expectations, and there's a breaking or a changing that opens you up to this new place. And what's interesting about the wilderness or the desert is you're not still in the place where you were. The, the ways that, you know... The easiest way to know that you're in kind of that pattern in that is that you have a really good idea of what tomorrow is going to look like. Like you could already sit here right now like, yeah, it's Monday tomorrow. I know what Monday looks like. We do this, this, and this. It's a pretty good indication that you're in a zone. And it's not a bad thing. I'm not trying to speak poorly of it. But you have these expectations. How you know you're in the wilderness is you don't know what tomorrow is going to look like anymore. All of your expectations for what the next day is going to look like is thrown out. And you're not where you were. You're not in the comfort of that. And you know that you're not going to be in this place forever. There's something else coming, a promised land, a a thing to lead into. But you're very much in this in-between place. And we want to camp out there in that in-between place to say, 
Yeah, that, no, that was very intentional. Uh, we are camping in that desert, just like the Israelites camped in that desert, because we want to see what does that period of life teach us. For a lot of us, it's the period of, of time that we want to avoid the most. And really, the story of the Israelites is similar to our story, where we hear them saying, I would rather go back to Egypt. How many times in our own lives do we say, I would rather go back to that form of slavery, whether it was an old job, an old relationship, an old family system, an old home? How often do you hear people romanticizing their youth? Remember when we just got married and we lived in a 20-square-foot apartment and we had no money? Like, it was so great back then. Like, was it? Then why did you move? We have this way of wanting to go back to these things that we knew and romanticize the past or we romanticize the future. But how do we live in these kind of in-between? And so to do that, what we want to look at is what do those desert experiences, what do they teach us? Um, And as we, we go into this, here's my invitation for you. You may not think of your life right now and say it's a desert experience. It's usually really hard to have like the entirety of life feel like that. But we usually have parts of our life that feel that way. We're in between jobs. We're in between relationships. We're in between our own identity and understanding. I think when we talk about midlife crises, these are desert experiences in our identity. We're not who we were in our youth. We're not who we're going to be in the future. We feel this in between. And the question is, is there an area in your spirituality where I knew God, this is what the rule, I knew what it looked like to pray to God and talk to God and read the Bible. And then you get to the stage where you're like, I don't even, what is the Bible? What is prayer anymore? And you, you know, like it's going somewhere. There's something new, but I'm not there yet. Uh, the question is, can you identify what is that desert experience, that in-between experience you might be having in your life? And then what we want to talk about is, well, what are the things that this desert can show us? Scotty Tuhati, hit it. Thank you. Uh, it's hot tub, Scott. Uh, did you want to do the verse, the verses from there? Or just... I did. Thank you. Okay, great. So uh, to, to illustrate that, we want to look at Numbers 14. <laughs> this is why we do it with two people. Uh, so this, is, this illustrates 14 chapters into Numbers. What is that desert experience? In uh, Numbers 14, 1 through 4, it says, That night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Marin, uh, Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. I chose this verse to kind of really capture this in-between place. Because this happens when they go and scout the promised land. So they've been in the wilderness. They still remember Egypt. They've been in the wilderness, but they're looking at the promised land, and it's in that place that they're like, I don't want this. I don't want the new reality. I actually want to go back to the old reality, but if I were to check my journals, it probably wouldn't, that wouldn't equate. I actually wouldn't want to be there. And I'm in this in-between, and I'm sick and tired of being in the in-between anymore. Have you ever felt that? Where there's a new opportunity for you that you're like, ah, that's scary. I don't know that I want that. I don't want to be in this in-between. I probably, I'm going to say I want that, but if I'm being honest and you give me the option, I probably wouldn't want that. I just feel like I don't know what any of this is anymore. 
I don't know where I fit in any of this system. And so says amen, every adult child that went back home for Thanksgiving, right? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Scott. So we want to, you know, in viewing the desert and this idea of desert, we want to look at it through two different kind of filters, two different frames of what the desert is doing to us when we we find ourselves in it in any aspect of life. Um, And the first one that we're going to talk about is the desert as a mirror. And so, uh, you know, we all have a pretty good idea of what mirrors are, but when we say it, uh, we probably, something comes to mind. And I actually, uh, I've thought about mirrors and I have like... the five mirrors that came to mind were this. So like we have the mirror, mirror on the wall, which is a really interesting question. I've never stood in front of a mirror and asked who's the fairest of them all and thinking I was going to be the one. Like I have a mirror in our bedroom is like there's the closet and it's an entire mirror. And every morning I got to wake up and look at my 40 year old body uh, in my underwear and it's not exciting. Um, so I never ask a question to the mirror. But so we have uh, mirrors that we talk to. Uh, we have like the infinity mirror. Oh, okay. Yeah, the infinity mirror goes on forever. We can keep, you know, refracting and all that stuff. Uh, the next one is, uh, yeah, like uh, the fun, fun house mirrors. Um, this is kind of a funny reversing it, making it all normal. But yeah, it obscures our vision and see th- sees things differently. Uh, the next one, objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. That's right. Uh, we, are, we can look behind us as we're driving and stuff like that. And so we have this mirror that's showing things in the past uh, and, you know, from 65 million years ago. And then this is the most famous mirror to me uh, because I think every one of us has owned this cheap, cheap mirror at some point in our lives that you buy and you're like, it's $7, awesome. And then you get it home and you're like, how the hell am I supposed to hang this thing? There's no wire on the back of it. Have you had this problem? There's no wire. It's a little bit heavy, so you put like the mounting tape off, but then it falls one day. You can't drill in like a wire and stuff. So usually what it is is at some point in our lives, if unless you get the plastic clips that you can screw in and hold it all up, that's what you're supposed to get. 20s, uh, leaning it against our wall. <laughs> uh, this is like college, middle 20s. Uh, until I got married stage for me. Anyways, um, so we think about mirror and we think about mirrors that are, we see ourselves in co- uh, most commonly. I don't remember what the next slide in. Uh, yeah, we come to mirrors with our own filters. That's the thing with mirrors, though, is that we come with a conversation that we're already having with ourselves. And we often look at mirrors and it backs up the conversation that we're having with ourselves about how we look and who we are. And I don't want to go that route with mirrors. There's also another way that mirrors are used in our world. And uh, we use mirrors to reflect uh, refract light. Um, you can go to the next one. So we see this a lot in telescopes and microscopes. In fact, the definition of how a mirror is used in a microscope is it's used to reflect light from an external light source up through the bottom of the stage to reveal what you're looking at in a microscope. And I would say that a desert is a mirror, but not in a way to reflect who you think you are, but to have an external source shine light into your situation to give you a new perspective. Um, there, Because often the conversation, and you can go to the next slide, is uh, vanity versus vision, self-obsession versus self-awareness. Um, the desert is not a mirror in a way to like be concentrated on ourselves. It's to help us like see beyond ourselves. It's not to be self-obsessive, but to go, oh, this is revealing something about me. 
And so a couple stories. Uh, one, and this is actually in the vein of uh, vanity and self-obsession. Twyla Tharp is a, a famous uh, a choreographer in New York City. She's a ballet dancer and, and modern dancer. Um, she's developed tons of stuff. And she has this book called The Creative Habit, Learn It and Use It for Life. And it's really fantastic if you're a professional creative. It, her whole premise is like, uh, great art is not made just by chance. It's made from uh, creative habit and practice, and here's ways to develop that. Um, but she has all these really great uh, exercises, and one of the exercises in it is she says, don't look in a mirror for a week. As much as you can, do not look in a mirror from a week, for a week. And she says, because what happens is when you don't look in a mirror for a week, all of a sudden the narrative that you tell yourself about starts to change. She's like, because often we come to a mirror and we look at it and we go, I think I look awesome. Most of the time we go, oh my gosh, I wish I could look different. Or we say something about ourselves. But she's like, when you stop looking in a mirror and you stop having that conversation with yourself, you start to judge who you are based on other things. Like an interaction with somebody else. You'd be like, I feel gross today. I didn't even look in the mirror. I didn't fix my makeup or whatever. I didn't do my hair. I didn't do anything. But then you have a pleasant conversation with a friend or somebody who really loves you. And you're like, oh, these people love me despite what I did to kind of make myself look presentable or for me to like myself. And it changes this narrative. And I think that's a really interesting practice to just go to start examining what are the narratives I say about myself? What are the narratives that I have going on in my head about who I think I am and stuff? Um, but in the vein of uh, self-awareness, what a desert does, I'd like to uh, kind of talk about how uh, the desert can be a mirror. So my wife and I moved to this Portland area about four years ago, and I got a job at a design agency downtown. Um, and then uh, that <laughs> that agency within two months went through an identity change, lost their like uh, parent uh, company and went through some financial troubles. And about seven months later, I got laid off. Um, and we had just moved here. We knew a few people here, but uh, we were like, oh, well, do we go find a job somewhere else? And both of us were like, Holly, my wife is here. She grew up in Oregon City. I grew up in Seattle. So we're like, oh, we like this area. Let's try to stick it out. So I was looking for work. Um, I was in, re I still am in a relationship with a, a church community and they had a job opening for a communications director and I was, I tried out or I, I, and I, uh, I applied, I got to the end and they went with somebody else. Um, some interesting work was coming up, but I, I felt really lost. And then I, I've, I worked at a church a number of years ago. I was on leadership there and I, I burned out and, uh, we ended up leaving that church and it was in Houston, Texas. During this time, the pastor called me and was like, I think you should come back. And I was like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> like, uh, because what? Like, we already moved across the country to Texas, and we've already moved back. And there's only, like, two kinds of people who live in Texas, um, Texans and people who move to Texas. And, like, Texans, if they ever move away, they, like, they got to go back. It's like the show Lost. Like, we got to go back. At some point, they go back. And then people who live in Texas, I think, just, like, fell down some stairs and ended up in Texas. Um, and I, like, immediately I was like, that's stupid. And a friend of mine was like, look, you're not 100% sure whether... Uh, God is leading you in this or closing the door. You just don't know. And, 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 
and all, it's a long, long story, but some pretty miraculous things happened. This woman I knew like 12 years ago, and she's a counselor, contacted me. She's like, the Lord told me to contact you. And I started, because I had a lot of issues with this community, and I started like talking it through with her. I ended up going back and visiting a few times to see if this was going to work out. And we had some really honest conversations about how things ended and how we both got hurt and all this stuff. And so it came to be... Uh, uh, the last time I went there, I came home and I was like, oh my gosh, we're moving back to Texas. This is the dumbest story I've ever heard, but I guess it's God is good at dumb stories. So, um, and at this time, I was just struggling by, my wife was working, and I just felt really lost. And then a week later, I got, uh, I, I called the church. I was like, hey, are, is this going to happen or what? And they're like, you know what? We decided uh, we're going to pass. And uh, I... Like, I already was, like, at the time, I was, like, 38, had a family of two kids at the time. Now we have three, and was the main breadwinner, and I just was, like, I don't know where to go anymore. I, I have never hit that low of a spot where I was just, like, I don't even know what to do. Like, and I, uh, I was trained as an educator, and I was a teacher for a while, and I sensed God calling me to be an artist which is apparently a call to poverty. But uh, I, I sensed this call and I stepped out in faith and I'd been doing that for like 12 years. And then all of a sudden I reached this spot where I was like, I don't even know where to go anymore. I don't have any job, I don't have any connections, I don't have any job opportunities. The one place I thought this was gonna go like disappeared. And I, I remember that night, and it, you could get into like, what it's supposed to be a man and providing for your family. It was more that I felt like God had like led me to a dead end trail with no options. And I was like, how did you lead me here? And I remember like crying myself to sleep that night and just like, I just felt so lost and so abandoned. And about three days later, um, I was at Home Depot uh, getting some stuff for a project, and I ran into this guy named Cameron, and Cameron has got like long hair and a beard, and he's a carpenter, and he plant he has a church plant, <laughs> very Jesusy. And I, I knew Cameron, and I, so I was like, oh hey Cameron, what's going on? And he's like, uh, we were talking, and he's like, hey, how's your week been? And I was like, actually, it's been awful. And I told him a bit of what's been going on, and then he said he was listening, and he goes can I say something to you? I feel like God is saying to me, let's stop. Do you know when that happens to you? Um, that's awkward, right? <laughs> when somebody you kind of know is like, uh, the Almighty just told me something and I'd like to share that with you. You know, like, okay, uh, I'm at Home Depot. I guess this is the moment for the Shekinah glory to come down <laughs> and reveal God's will. So I took it with a grain of salt, but this is what he said to me. He goes, I feel like God wants to say this to you that you've been obedient the whole time in learning to love and forgive and, and willing to go back to that community and love them, even though that's not going to happen. And then he goes, and God sees where you're at, and he knows it's really, really painful. And I just, like, lost it in Home Depot. And we talked a little bit more, and I was like, well, what are you getting? And he goes, actually, I'm not here to get anything at all. Uh, I was just driving with my wife, and I heard the Lord tell me to come in here, so I've just been waiting, and apparently it was to talk to you. <laughs> and he, like, walked out with me. I said out to his wife. And, uh, and, and so I went home, 
And here's where it moved me from, from this place of like, I don't know where I'm going. I feel completely abandoned. It moved me to this place. I said, well, and this is my running uh, test. This is my running premise of life right now as a Christ follower. If Jesus wants me somewhere else, I would be. So what is the conversation I can only have by being here? When I started approaching that desert spot from that place, what is the conversation I can only have by being here? the question that came up was, am I still called to be an artist? Not as like as a person, but as like a vocation. And then that started a whole other journey that I've been on the last three years. So often we're, so the desert as a mirror, it's not necessarily telling us something about the narrative we already have for ourselves, but it's shining light into our situation to reveal all these other things, this other conversation we're being invited to. So as Scott just talked about, we're going to be looking at this desert experience as a mirror. How does it lead us towards introspection? What does it expose to us about ourselves? And the other place that we want to look at it is how does the desert uncover potential? So how many of you, um, I mean, it's summertime. How many of you have memories of making sandcastles at a beach, at a lake, the ocean somewhere? Yeah. I feel like, like you have to. Like, at some point, you have to make a sandcastle. It doesn't even matter if it's good. Uh, you just have this, like, and if you go to a beach, you see kids playing and building and then usually panically protecting when the tide starts to rise, right? They're like, no, 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 no. And what's interesting about sandcastle and building is you can put a whole day into this activity. Like, in starting, like, I don't know, yeah, I'll build, like, a tower, and then it like kind of builds and then there's like energy and then usually like a parent brings a bucket and like we could use that bucket and we could build things upon things upon things. Then it starts growing and then usually halfway through the day, the kids are off playing in the water and the parents are just really digging it out. They're making it amazing. They're like, I'm doing this for you, sweetheart. And we get this like incredible stuff that gets built. I have some pictures of here of like, you know, the sandcastle competitions. I think they have them and like, look at that. Sanded water. They made that out of sand. Or we have this one. Carved and made out of sand. Or one of my favorite. Uh, I mean, it's the Johnny Depp Willy Wonka. I prefer Gene Wilder. But, you know, yeah. I love me some Willy Wonka. Isn't that incredible? What you can build and make out of sand. And one of the reasons why we're looking at potential is... All of the desert, all of the wilderness is sand. And there's a quote in the book that, that I've been reading called Bewilderments. That's a, it's a study on numbers that kind of led to this message series. And it pulled this quote in the book that I want to read to you because I love what it says to us about sand and what we do with it. It's by Susan Stewart in The Poet's Freedom. And sorry, backstory. What it says is there's a small boy that she watched that built up the sandcastle. Then at the end of the day, with all of his might, he just ran through and destroyed the whole sandcastle. Like, just knocked it all down. And she sat with it, because, like, that's a, that's a thing to watch, to observe. And you, like, do I like that they did that? They had a blast building and destroying it. They built it, but should they have done it? So by destroying the mere thing, thing and using all his physical might to do so, the boy seemed to be returning the power of the foreign back to himself. Once the skills used in making the castle in its entirety were internalized, they were ready to be used again. 
the boys swiftly returned the elements, and that is the sand, to its pure potential. And I love that concept that we build with all of our might. We create and we make incredible things. But then at the end of the day, we let it be knocked down. We let it go. That our life isn't given and devoted to protecting the things that we've built, but we let the things that are built be there while they need to be there. And then at the end, let them come down. Let them cease to be there. What's interesting, if you just look at generations, every generation is building something. And do you know a friend or do you have a friend that their parents built this business? And sometimes it works great and they try and hand it off to their children who are completely uninterested in the business. Wouldn't it be interesting to take the resources of it that this is a sandcastle, not meant to protect? What if we liquidate the assets? What if we take the sandcastle down and return to this child the potential to go build your own sandcastle? Go build your own thing. Is it possible that each subsequent generation would have less reaction to the generation before them if they were more loose with what they've created and encourage their kids to go create something? And in our own lives, we have these cycles where these things we build up, these realities that we've created, we want to hold on to them so tightly. And the desert reminds us this whole thing is potential. Ultimately, I think what the desert is uncovering in us is we don't know that we can do it again. And we start to doubt if we ever did it in the first place. Who can I be? What can I create? Is it possible it's all over? And I'm not going to be able to do it the next time. I'm not going to be able to have a healthy relationship this time. I'm not going to be an employable person again this time. There's a way of going through this message, and I've, I've seen this done before. If you look at like these realities that we've created, and then we have these times of desert and wilderness, and we're wandering, and then we're going to the promised land. A lot of times what we can do is we can play the shell game where we're just trying to put all of the spiritual emphasis on one of those environments. And I grew up in an environment where it was all about the promised land. One day we will see the glory. It's all about the promised land. It's all about the promised land. And then I came to a place and I'm like, I don't know that it's all about the promised land. It's all about the wilderness. Yeah, the wilderness is everything. And even when I first read this story, I'm like, no, think about the wilderness. This is where they saw the presence of God more clearly than anywhere else in the entire Bible. Where else did they have the presence of God as a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, and they were physically fed by God every single day? And if they tried to hold on to the man and store it up, it would immediately rot. They had to be fully present with God every single day. That's it. It's the wilderness that matters. No. It's the whole thing. How do we be present when we're in Egypt, when we feel enslaved? How do we be present to the wilderness when that thing breaks open and now we're in the wandering? And how are we present to the promised land when we step into it? How are we present to the whole thing? Because each stage is a potential to reveal to us about who we are. I really feel like in so many ways, the Israelite nation was formed by the wilderness. Their potential was unlocked and uncovered by this wandering. So that doesn't mean that we have to fall in love with the wilderness. We don't have to create our own wildernesses. 
We don't have to walk into our places of employment and quit tomorrow so we can really just get this wilderness life. That's where the good stories are. No. How are you present to the reality that's going on now and saying, what is this revealing to me? And we want to look at what are the unique ways that those wilderness experiences reveal to us about who God is. So here's my encouragement. Can you identify for you what's a wilderness experience that you're in now? Or maybe one that you've just come out of. A lot of times when we're in the wilderness, and if you think about this about a physical desert, the rule of the desert is survival. You're just trying to live to see another day. A lot of times we can't even unpack all that the wilderness had to teach us until we're out of it. So maybe you had a transition that you just came out of, whether it's employment or relationship or family dynamic or your own identity, your spirituality. You had this moment that's just passed or maybe you're in it now. And the invitation for you in all these weeks and all these stories for us to keep asking, what did that experience or what is this experience showing us about ourselves? And how is it a tool for looking deeper? And ultimately, what is this experience revealing to us about our potential? At the core of the Christian church, we believe that God created us to do incredible things that only we could do. If God wanted to do whatever the thing it is from someone other than you, well, then you wouldn't be here. You weren't created to do something somebody else could do. You were created to do something that only you can do. And it's a journey of a lifetime discovering more and more about who God created me to be. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. We were put into an infinitely expanding universe, and in our creation, an infinitely expanded universe was put into each and every one of us. How do these experiences start to uncover the nature of God and the nature of what God created in us? And so to help us continue processing, Scott's going to come back up and lead us in a prayer exercise. We're going to close with uh, just a time of listening and uh, beginning the conversation uh, this week in our own lives, or even just now and, and, and uh, today and as we get back together. So um, one of the things about being in a desert time is, uh, is that often we're asked, or we, or we feel like we need to name what it is. And, and, and going back to what Kurt said, a desert time in our life is just a place where all things are being removed and all the like, faculties that we usually have of the narrative we tell ourselves, who we are, where we're going, have been removed. And we just find ourselves like just going, I don't know where I'm at anymore. And that can be in our vocational life, our work life. That can be in our emotional life. That could be in our, our marriage life or our relational life. Um, uh, all of these aspects of who you are. Um, our friendship life. Um, so, uh, but to... So, so when we think through this place of kind of being lost or, or in this desert time, um, it, it's not helpful to name it because naming um, gives it a narrative and it gives it meaning. And we're not at a spot yet where we can look at that and go, this is what God is doing. This is what that was for. This is what it taught me. We don't know. And so I want to give you permission to not need to have a name for it. Um, but I do think that what's happening in this time is that we're being invited to a conversation. So I'm going to go to this last uh, prompt uh, which was, and, and here's the paradox about uh, being a Christian, is that we do have a free will and decisions that we can make, but also God is intimately involved in each one of our lives. 
like I often say, like, I don't understand how God's will works. I don't know what's in his will or what's not in his will. I just know that he's really, 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 really detailed. And every time I notice that intentionality, that's when I'm filled with wonder. And so I want us to find ourselves in that, the paradox of both. Like I have a ch- a choices I can make, but also God is leading and is involved in my lives in ways I don't understand. And instead of trying to give a definition to it, let's just begin to say, like, what is the conversation that I can only have by being here? And so what I'd like you to do, I'm going to lead you in a prayer, um, and you have that pipe cleaner in your hand. I want us to, to not give a name to where we're at, but I want us to make a symbol, because visual is a different kind of language, and it's a, it's a, it's a language that causes a lot of different other conversations within us. Um, and Jason Folletta, when he spoke last week, said he makes these Ebenezers. And an Ebenezer is an ancient way of like, something happens, I've interacted with God, and I want to remember that. Well, we don't know what's happening with God. We don't know what he's doing in our lives in this area, and we don't know how to define it yet. So I want to make an Ebenezer of expectation, an Ebenezer of conversation that you could use to just go like, God, where can I begin the conversation with you? Um, And look, pipe cleaners are the great equalizer. You can't get it wrong. Like if I gave you a pen and paper, you'd be like, I can't draw. But surely you can make some kind of form, even if it's just a circle, a lightning bolt, scrunching it up, making a ball, however you want to, uh, as you kind of center in on where this is at. So I want to just take a moment and uh, God, we just ask... uh, First of all, we're thankful that you are always with us, even in the desert place, even when our desert place feels like you're not there. And so we trust that promise to us. We trust that we have seen this in the biblical narrative, that even when people have been brought to places where they are, uh, all things are taken away, um, they don't know where they're going, uh, that you were leading them to a new Uh, potential to seeing something about themselves, to bringing them into a promised land. And so we believe that for ourselves. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would begin the conversation in us. What is the conversation that you would like us to have? A conversation about our work, a conversation about our identity, a conversation about what we love, a conversation about how we're spending our time, what we believe, what we hope for. And we're going to give you these next few minutes, Holy Spirit, to begin that conversation. And so you're free to kind of make something and just ask uh, God, where do you want me to have, where's the conversation? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.